Hello, and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lenny. And this week, we're going to talk about the nature of what is human and what is dancer. Sort of. Always uh, bothers me that there's the only two choices. It's the only two choices. Uh, we're talking about Blade Runner, specifically Blade Runner The Final Cut. Uh, but before we get started, how was your week? Um... It's difficult to explain. <laughs> there was um, high adventure, I think, is the best way to put you it. You did have high adventure. You were gone for five days, six yeah. days, like a long time. Yes, avoiding fires and dodging um, elk and all sorts of things and, and coyotes at night. It was It was a lot of fun, but exhausting. Traveling in the northern... Uh, rural areas of California, right. Humboldt right. County, Mount Shasta, Mount Lassen mm-hmm. areas. Yeah, yeah, dodging fires because it's August in California, and so there are of it, course fires. It was a really, it was an interesting experience. I um, yeah, it, I've I've been on um several trips like this where there are moments where you go oh. This this isn't good, and this might be where I, I, I don't come back. Yeah, I but know. Every, literally every time you I go away, mm. when I go away, I go to a house where we play board games for right. three days, and you're like, be careful. And when you go away, you come back with, I nearly died basically every day I was gone. And but I'm just it's, like... It's not that bad. It was a, it was a, a lot of fun, though. And I, I love... I I actually really like getting out and seeing places I haven't seen before and doing things I haven't done before. So, and it fulfilled all those those uh, criteria for having a good time for me. <laughs> what about you? Uh, well, funnily enough, by the time this episode airs, I will also have been gone mm-hmm. out of town for a weekend, but that has not happened yet. Uh, so my actual last week was good. It was very chill. You weren't here. It was weird. I don't sleep well mm. if the right if the people that should be in the house aren't in the house. Like oh, I, I'm sorry. It, it's fine. It's just mm. my brain is like the vibe in here is off. It's just missing a thing, and so I just have trouble sleeping and regulating my my sleep. Right. That's on me. It's not on you. It's totally fine. And it doesn't. It's weirdly not an issue when I'm elsewhere. Right. Just when I'm at home and people I expect to be there are not there. Mm. Uh, so I had a weird sleep weekend, but it's good. I got a couple of new clients. I've been doing some interesting good. new work this week. Uh, they're short-term things, but uh, it's been fulfilling and good. And now I will have a portfolio of web design that I will be able to use going forward, which is awesome. Uh, and they've been lovely to work with. So that's been fun. And I watched a bunch of stuff while you were gone, and we'll talk about that later. (laughs) But when you came back last night, we decided that it was time. Not we decided. It it was time. There was no other days. Yesterday was the day. We would watch Blade Runner. Uh, The the most easily uh, gettable version of this film that has seven different versions. Mm -hmm. Five that are really available. Uh, was on Netflix, and it is the final cut. And so you figure, this is probably fine and good. And yes. and by what I've just researched this afternoon, um, it is most people's definitive 
they say it's the best one. We'll it's say been a that. long time since I've actually seen Blade the movie. Blade. Yeah, I I miss the voiceover, which I felt kind of gave me a. Um, it added a sort of a film noir element, and this is very is much a, a neo noir. Yeah, um, and it, uh, but it's overall a kind of a raw version of what I remember. And um, I think it looks very good. Well, um, it's been restored, and and the uh-huh. length that they went to in this version, including bringing back some of the actors mm. to contribute their voices, and in one case, actually mm. contribute. A physical onset performance. Um, yeah, they, they went through a, a lot of trouble to try to make this restoration look very much the way that uh, Ridley Scott wanted it to look like before it was interfered with by producers and other things. I can understand the producers as well, because this is a very kind of strange world to set this story in, even if it's a very simple story. Yeah. So um, I will say, as I was as I was reviewing. Roger Ebert, when this movie came out originally, the 1982 theatrical mm-hmm. release that critics saw, right. as he was a critic, uh, he gave the movie three stars. Uh, he thought it looked fantastic, but the human element was thin. Mm. The review that he did in 2007 for this version, the final cut, he bumped it to a four-star film. So... That to me is like really interesting. Um, we will go. Do you want to go through at the beginning or the end the differences? We should probably go through that at the end. I'm not sure sense. how many different endings. I mean, how much time you need to spend with that because yeah. I don't know if the audience is going to be familiar. With Fair that. enough. So this movie originally came out in 1982. Harrison Ford is uh, post Star Wars mm-hmm. pre. Indiana Jones or pre-Temple of Doom? I believe it's pre-Temple of Doom. Okay. So post-Han and post-Indy. And now he is working with another top-tier director with Ridley Scott, our second Ridley Scott in this um, series. And I do not believe our last... No, I know for a fact it's not our last. Mm, No, I don't. But I'm pretty sure it's not our last. (laughs) And um, as you said, there... I think the first time I watched this movie, there was the version with the voiceover, which this movie does not have. It does have a long intro, uh, text intro, which I just thought was weird right off the bat. Um, not weird. It just struck me as interesting that this is ostensibly to a... 2000 and, or a 1982 audience and then of course the 2007 audience doesn't really change it talking about 2019 and 2020 as the past even though it is in the future <laughs> like the the run at the beginning is very much like in 2020 or in 2019 it actually says in the early 21st century, uh, all of this stuff was happening, and and specifically, replicants were created. These right. are um, synthetic humans. Right. I guess is the best way to put them. Right. Uh, I would argue artificially intelligent. Yes. Um, and like true artificial intelligence, like possibly sentient 
probably sentient. No, they are. The 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 <laughs> issue with the rebel cons and, and listening to Ridley Scott talk about the film, um, the the Philip K. Dick novel. Yeah. Yes. Is um, and this is really where that's Philip do androids dream, dream of electric, electric sheep, sheep, right? Yeah. Although the title Blade Runner is taken from another author. Mm, interesting. Yeah, that's because weird. Because his problem was he's not going to use the word android. No yeah. one uses the word android. No one uses the word robot. No. Because Scott felt that was going to set the audiences up with a different expectation of what kind of film. Interesting. And this is after Star Wars, and it stars Harrison Ford. Yeah. So he doesn't want. Yeah, them he doesn't to want start... you thinking about droids. Right. He doesn't want C three PO in your brain. And what he's uh, doing then is discussing these sort of synthetic people. Yes. And we see how synthetic and artificial they are, in that they're physically superior to us right. in many ways. Well, yes. Um, and they, well, they're physically superior. Yes. Intellectually, some of them are and some of them aren't because they're yeah. designed for different purposes. And I, when you say physically superior, I, I, I defaulted to attractiveness, which is not no, no. I mean, accurate. we learned that not necessarily accurate. The, of the the, the, <laughs> the female species, specimens all do seem to be mm-hmm. spectacularly attractive. The male specimens are varying levels of attractiveness. Right. Um, but that's largely, of course, because humans made them. And what do humans make a lot of female uh, synthetics for? Mm. Well, that's what um, <laughs> one of the characters, Daryl Hannah's yes. uh, replicant, and that's the word they came up with so to avoid yeah. using any kind of android, robot, yeah. whatever, clone, or something very science fictiony. She's specifically designed. Yes. As a kind of a pleasure unit. As a pleasure, yeah, yes. So she, and the, and and for that, I guess they gave her the ability to acrobat. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's is she? Do you know if that's her or if she's got a body double? I think it's her. I don't know for certain. Okay, I'm curious. I might I uh, might look that up because she does a lot of flippy flips in this movie, and like she's doing a floor routine at the Olympics, and I'm just like, damn. And that's maybe why she was like, put me in a tail. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> um, so this movie directed by Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm. Screenplay by Hampton Fancher and David Peoples. Right. Some great names. Based, as we said, on Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. Have you ever read a Philip K. Dick novel or short story? I have never read story? a Philip K. Dick novel. I'm always intrigued by the kind of ideas that he has. Same. I, I wonder if I would like his writing. I've never read any of his stuff either, I don't think. Right. I, I, I have that sort of... I'm standing off at a distance from it because it's very modern and very strange, although I really feel um, that the same way... The same way that H.G. Wells, you can go back in science fiction and see how much science fiction history, as in terms of literature and in film, alien invasions, invisibility potions made by mad scientists, a mad scientist who turns animals into people, a time machine. Yeah. That's all one man. Yeah, yeah. Putting those ideas forward, yeah. and that was Wells. It's like Stephen King has a pretty right. broad... But it's ho- mostly horror. It's not all horror. It's mm-hmm. mostly horror, but it is broad, different types of right. horror. Human horror... Like, there are just straight-up murderers, and then there are supernatural things, and then there are monsters, right. and then there, yeah, there's all kinds but of things. But for Wells, you can really say a lot of what we take as science fiction was mm-hmm. just pioneered by one man. Mm-hmm. 
And um, you can say for a different but generation of science fiction writers. I want to make sure that I say, because mm-hmm. a lot of people say H.G. Wells pioneered science fiction. The first science fiction book was written by a woman, and that was mm-hmm. Frankenstein. <laughs> yes, but what I mean is science fiction as a genre, not that's, science fiction that's specifically. That's fine, like a kind but of I want to make sure that I, because a lot of people are like, there are no women in sci-fi, and women have been in sci-fi well, since, they've the, been since the, beginning. the beginning. So I just want to be um, clear. This is going to be a heavily male episode, too. Like, there are women in this, but they are not... Like, I got mad during the sex scene. Right. Like, I was upset. <laughs> so oh, I, I remember. I was there. <laughs> um, so, but it, yeah. To finish yeah. what I was saying is I think that Philip K. Dick actually was like Wells in that a lot of what he thought, like plugging into virtual reality and yeah. having these sort of like virtual religions... The cyber... Right. Science fiction stuff. Um, that stuff that came from a jump in technology that Wells couldn't have foreseen. Really. No, of course, yeah. Uh, that winds up creating a new kind of source that everyone goes to to get their ideas from. Yeah, and a lot of his work has been adapted right. um, into very popular... Right, and a lot of it has been uh, sort of ripped off. Uh, uh, yeah, well, as is the case with many, many yeah. people's. Um, so this uh, movie, uh, the other sort of um, key thing about this movie is the soundtrack. This, the the music to it is a synthy sort of uh, it it sort of bathes you in synthesizer, and it's very. It's not like the zither in the third man. Like it's mm-hmm. not instantly like you you think about that music when you think about this movie. But when you hear this music, you think about this movie like it is. Um, It's very uh, distinctive, but it also just is very, it just feels like 1982. Well, I think that the music. Evangelist, right? That's the name of the. Well, also did Chariots of Fire, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that is right. Really popular. Um, He, uh, the score for this film reflects a kind of a weird dreamlike quality yeah. to the entire movie. And um and it works really well for these characters and their confrontations and things like that. I mean, it's not all sort of dreamy, it's very up tempo at times, but for the most part it's like you're you're watching somebody else's dream. Yeah. Or nightmare, depending. In in some cases very mm. literally, like we see yes. dream in in this, right. in this, that is specific to this cut. Actually, there is a dream that Decker has, or Deckard has, um, who is Harrison Ford's character. Ford's character. There is a dream that Deckard has, and this is Harrison's Ford character. Why can't I say Harrison Ford's, Ford's character? character right. um, that is, uh, he sees um, a unicorn running through. Like a forest. Uh-huh. Mostly you see the unicorn. And that is added to this version right. of this film. And it was so out of place with the rest of the film that at one point later on, people assumed that it was edited in from his next movie, Legend, which was all about unicorns. I wonder if that was where the footage came from. Cause no, it he looked shot like... it for this oh, film. Okay. And, and it it's... looks like the unicorn, le- the right. legend unicorn. I have seen legend uh, more times than I sh- should have, probably. <laughs> I really liked that movie as a kid. Tim Curry looked amazing in that makeup. <laughs> so to start very briefly with 
explain what the narration was. It's, we're in the year 2019. 2019, yeah. Distant future. Yes, the distant future. And <laughs> the most of the... Uh, in Philip K. Dick's book, this is a post-war world. Is it? Yes. It's not so much in the film. We don't, no see, mention we don't of that. get that, yeah. Right. What we do have in the film is a city of Los Angeles in 2019. With significant Chinese influence. Significant Chinese, Japanese, Russian. It's very much like... You um, know what we don't see? Mm-hmm. And and Ebert pulled this out in, at the beginning of his first um, right. review. Uh, a, a Latino presence. Well, you do. I know, but he's like, I would think L.A. would be a largely Hispanic mm-hmm. At this well, point, what, he says Hispanic in 1982 because right. it was 1982. <laughs> but the um, the idea is that in both versions of the the book and the film, people are leaving the planet Earth. Yes, they're going off to other worlds. They're exploring them. They're they're colonizing, and so healthy Earth, healthy people, healthy, right, healthy body people, people are. are. And um, and the replicants were invented a, to have as a status symbol. You had a replicant who was your servant, or they were out there doing the jobs that nobody wanted to do, deep space travel and exploration, mining for radioactive chemicals because their bodies could endure yes. you know, heat. And, we, we and it, you know, like just construction mm-hmm. and stuff, because heavy lifting, right. you can have three instead of 30. And one of the characters that we learn later on lifts 400-pound loads for 24-hour periods and loads them onto a ship. That's yeah, what he does. That's continuously. what he does, yeah. And so um, they're made for that purpose. However, the Terrell Corporation, who's developed these uh, these uh, replicants, has um, discovered that they have an emotional life eventually. So they've been built into a four-year lifespan. Well, they they're... Um, they're built into the four. They they're limited to the four year right. lifespan after there's a revolution. There's a revolt. There's an attempt. Yeah. Um, and a bunch of people are killed, and that's when Tyrell basically puts a kill switch on these things. So mm-hmm. They only live four years. Um, so so that they can't get out of hand, I guess. Um, and then yeah, the the thing we found out fairly early in the film is. He's now implanting into new ones. He's right. implanting memories so that basically the entire lifespan isn't them going through the terrible twos because that's how much experience they've got. Yes. And there's a, Tyrell is a really interesting villain, and we'll get into that you know when we get to the, his scenes. But the fact that despite despite the fact that it's illegal for for replicants to be in Earth. Honest, yeah, they're not with allowed human on beings. Earth. Yeah, um, he's just manufacturing them, and he keeps pushing the envelope as far as how human can he make this? Yes, to really kind of disastrous ends for his own sake. But yeah, we should probably yeah. Start let's with start that. with the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. let's start with the movie. So the first scene is the test, right, with right. Leon? Yeah. So the first scene, uh, we have a man giving some sort of uh, psycho it looks like a psychological evaluation um, involving also a camera looking at this person to a man named Leon who is a new sanitation worker in the building and we don't know what the test is 
uh, it's a very odd interaction because the guy that's asking, like the test giver, I will tell you, I was not sad at what happened to him because he seemed like a fucking asshole. <laughs> so he, like, this guy sits down. He's wearing a hospital gown. He's looking confused and whatever and looking around and trying to make conversation. And the guy is like, we're here to take a test. Times matter. Da, 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 da. And then he just starts asking questions without giving any context, which I am like very against because I have both given and been given right. exams, like psychological exams or, or tests like this. And it's very off-putting for you to not treat me like a person. Now, Turns out this guy's trying to figure out if this thing in front of him is a person right. or a replicant. But I argue, until you know otherwise, maybe treat them like a person? Well, there's a whole <laughs> racial attitude. Yes. For lack of a better yes. word. Um, the, uh, the cops in this film were horribly corrupt. Yeah. Um, to a person almost. Uh, refer to them as skin jobs. Yes. So um, there's a there's a whole and in the voiceover right. that is that is um, equated with, with the, the N word. Yeah. yeah. Um, which was one of my favorite lines from the other uh, the version of the film I saw because when he says this is my boss, he calls them skin jobs. In the old days, he used to call he would be the kind of guy who called a black man and he says the word N word. Yeah. And. It's like that told me just everything I need to know about that character. And I think it helps because they Mm. are making up terms. Right. Like, I don't... Skin job does certainly sound like a slur. Right. But I don't know every... If if I don't know a word, I don't know it's a slur. And some things don't sound like slurs. Right, exactly. Especially if you've heard them in... Like, sorry, right now I'm going to say gypsy. I did not know was a slur. I thought that's what... People were called. Nope. <laughs> so, uh, skin job, though, really does sound like a slur. So, he's administering this test. Um, and on about question three, Leon is uh, done. But right. He's asked about his mother. And at that point, Leon pulls a gun out of a huge somewhere. Uh-huh. It's unclear where because he is wearing a hospital gown, uh, and he does shoot this man through a wall. Yeah, it's a big <laughs> it's a big gun. Uh, and then he, I guess, flees. So, then we have our first glimpse of, oh, the baby of Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford the baby. And he is trying to just eat some noodles and Edward James almost is like, nope, you're coming with me. It's a it's a real baby Harrison Ford versus mustachioed Edward James almost in some loud. The patterns, the clothing patterns in this right. movie are baffling. The, the <laughs> film itself, one thing that we should talk about also right away is the visual design of this film is amazing. And even people at the time in 1982 who had no use for the film, they thought it was pretentious, they thought it was overlong, or it was W, or it was dull. I had never seen it a review that said, you know, the art direction is poor and the costume choices are poor. It creates an entirely different world. And this yeah. is really thanks to the work of, like, Sid Mead and Doug Trumbull, who we, yeah. who did 2001, yeah. special effects for that film. Uh, and we'll see his work later on with Close Encounters of the Third Kind. 
Yes. Um, Ooh, we're going to watch that. I'm excited. I've never seen it. <laughs> and so this world is really well realized. It's wet. It's rainy. People live yeah, in... Yeah, that is what you said, Ridley Scott. Yeah. It's raining. It rains in his movies. It rains in People live in these movies. giant megastructures. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know, that was an architectural concept that was very popular in the 60s mm-hmm. and early 70s. Uh, so I lived through the tail end of it, which was everything you need is essentially in one enormous structure. Yeah. And people live near the top. Yeah. And the closer you are to the street, the more... Um, you get the like more commercial stuff or park right. levels or, or yeah, yeah. But e- even then, it's we we first meet Harrison Ford on the street eating street food out of a vendor. Yep, arguing with him. And he lives on the ninety seventh floor. Right, we find out later. <laughs> but then you see Terrell, and he lives way up in yeah, one yeah. of these towers. He's at the top of a of the Tywell building. Like right. it's yeah, it's Trump Tower, y'all. Um. <laughs> And so I guess I guess in some versions of this film we start with Deckard getting pulled in. Mm-hmm. So he's getting he's not getting he's getting arrested, but he's not getting arrested. He's getting uh, drafted, kind of. We find out that he has he was a cop, but he is no longer a cop. But he's the best cop they have to find replicants, and they don't use the word kill. That is what's in the crawl too. They use the word retire, Retired, yeah. which. I still think if you want me to not think of this as a person, retire is still too much of a person word to use. Like, use the word decommission, right? Like, mm. use the word use a word that you use only for inanimate objects, even though these are clearly animate and sentient. We'll get into it. And uh, his his uh, old boss is played by M. Emmett Walsh. M. Emmett Walsh, who is such a good asshole. I He's, love it. Well, he this was, is his second thing right. that we've seen him yes. in in this series. And he is equally, you just... Just slippy, slimy. Gross. Just, ugh, I don't want to hug you. I kind of want to punch you in the face. Yeah, he's, he's really good. He's the character. <laughs> I should just press charges now as a preventive right. measure. Like, yeah, it's it's. He, um, he's very much, uh, and again, in the, the narration, the first version I saw, he's the character who calls him skin jobs. and Yeah. And he, he preys on the fact that uh, Deckard, Harrison Ford's character, doesn't quite it doesn't have the stomach for this. No. He doesn't like retiring them because retiring, you're, you're essentially taking a really big gun and putting them to death. Yes. You don't win fist fights with them. No. You don't. They lift 400 pounds. Right. Like, yeah, you have so, to fire a large caliber weapon. Many times. Or in the head. Once. Right. It's because Sean Jordan, Sean, Sean, not Sean, Sean Jordan, what's her name? Rachel. Sean Young's character, right. Rachel. One one shot kills right. one of them. Um, so he is dragged basically one last job, but on the cop side and not on the, you know, the criminal side. Um, there was a breakout and four of these replicants. Six originally. Six originally, but there are there are four survivors that uh, his boss wants Deckard to take out because he's the best at it. And, and he's basically threatened. He's basically like either you're a cop or you're nothing, i.e., if your ID doesn't get you the free pass and the comfort that you are used to, um, it can it can the the lack of it can make your life a living hell. And so right. he does. He's on board. Uh, 
it's Leon, the the mustachioed man that we had uh, previously seen shoot uh, a man in the in the body through a wall. It was a lot, uh, and that he's played by Brian James, Brian with an O. Yeah, and uh, he he's does a, a lot of these parts. Absolutely recognize. Yeah. He has a walrus mustache and a weak chin, but he is a, he's a really good actor. Um, then there is uh, Rutger Hauer as Roy Batty. Mm-hmm. There is Daryl Hannah as Pris. And there is Joanna Cassidy as Zora Salome, who was probably also a pleasure situation. Well, she She's a dancer now. But she started as a killer, if you remember. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. She was like, yes, that's right. She was on like an assassin squad. And it's very funny because um, Joanna Cassidy is... She is like Joe Beth Williams that we saw in Poltergeist. Yeah. In that she's one of these very tall, very athletic oh, yeah. women. She was called back to contribute some scenes for this cut of a film. Oh, interesting. And um, because the they didn't 25 want 25 years later, yeah, they which didn't is want when to, this movie came out, right. the, or this cut came out. It's the 25th they didn't want anniversary. To on the film, they didn't want to use CGI to do the, the redo the visual effects and things like that. But oh, they, they didn't want to just pull a full George Lucas? No, they didn't. Um, but the thing was, they were taking from so many source materials that mm-hmm. had not been properly stored, that there was some restoration that needed to happen anyhow. Right. Um, but one of the things that um, they weren't happy about, the director and all, was that it was very transparently on the take that I saw a stunt woman, Zora, that meets her death, and they... Oh. Figured that using her head and shoulders and putting her on this. Okay. She she really did. You know, once they put her in the the, the, the wig and everything, she really looked just about the same. It was very interesting. Good for her. I mean, yeah. if you're an actress, you have the mm-hmm. impetus right. to invest in such things, especially yeah. since uh, they don't like you acting after you're, you know, 22 yeah. or whatever. You're suddenly a grandma. The uh, Blank Check talks a lot about Sally Field and Tom Hanks, how there was like a, a, in two years, she played his love interest and then his mother. Right. It's just like, <laughs> I don't even, that's all. Well, we'll be seeing another film example of that um, in um, North by Northwest. Oh, yeah. Where Cary Grant is slightly younger than the woman who plays his mother. Um, and, uh, and you're like, well, why would you make that decision? Yeah, why would you make that decision? Because of the male gaze right. is why. Um, so Deckard goes ahead and tries and, and sets up a meeting with CEO Tyrell. And this happens Eldon Tyrell. Two of the replicants that came back immediately tried to storm like the, the Tyrell Tower. Leon was trying to work there. That's right. where he was when yeah. he so you know, almost was outed and bounced. Right. <laughs> so uh and uh, Deckard's first response to th- this whole thing is, why are they coming to Earth? That's weird. Usually if they break free... They don't want to go... First of all... Right. There, there's a couple of things. Okay. I want to talk about with the the, the human replicant um, dynamic. One, if you make a thing... If you are afraid of a thing, 
why do you make it strong enough to destroy you in a multitude of ways? Mm-hmm. Second, if they are trying to escape, you're now trafficking. Like, this is not... Right. Like, there's compute. There's my, my desktop computer, my laptop computer, which does not know that it is not a thing and doesn't have a life and isn't, you know, maybe living up to its full potential. It is a tool for me to use. These things have are, are not that. Right. Why? Why have we made these? Why have we done this? I just don't understand. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Why humans would... Like, well... It's the lunacy of humans, and it's shown with our gun laws, right? Like... Mm-hmm. We we create our the the impetus of our own destruction and then are like there's nothing could have been done about it. <laughs> I guess we're all just gonna die by gun violence. I'm like, what are you what are we doing? What are we doing? It's so stupid. But uh Deckard's first thing is like, why would they come back here? That's crazy. Right. Because they broke away because they didn't want to be where they were, right? So they're on the run. Why would they go to the one place where they would definitely be hunted down and killed? Yes, if you have all of outer space. All of space. And you don't need Mm -hmm. our, like, they don't need oxygen and stuff to breathe. Like, that's not a concern. Why are they coming back here? And we find out. I mean, ultimately, it is because they know that they're going to die in four years, and they don't want to, so they're going to Try and get that kill switch de-switched. Right. Get it out. Give me a software patch. Whatever it is, if there's a thing inside of me that's gonna like cause my death, get it out of me. If there is a you know piece of software unwrite it or rewrite it or whatever. Um. So he um goes to the goes to the creator of the replicants to administer a test. On a Nexus 6. That's the other thing. Why are they producing them on, our, on well, Earth? That's the... <laughs> they should be produ- produced right. off-world if they're only allowed to be off-world. This, fe- this feels like a Catch-22, like um, like sundown towns or something. Like, I'm, I'm, I, it was fine for me to be here up until you decided it wasn't fine for me to be here. Why are they not producing? It just makes it... Maybe it's the minerals and stuff, like the transportation of them would be but i that still feels crazy like if they're all being used off world produce them there then you don't have to ship them i don't i don't get it i don't get it so there's a bunch of nexus sixes on the planet even though it is explicitly illegal for nexus sixes to be on the planet so he's gonna go do the show this test to prove that it works and before he i don't really understand this scene like the the beginning of the scene, which is before you do it on the Nexus Six, I'm gonna bring in. Do it on Rachel, my secretary. Well, he wants to see. Here's the the issue is that Terrell's kind of a well, he's a monster, obviously, because he's started a new kind he's of. He's a tech CEO. He's right. a monster, and and a yes, and a slavery. Yes, he's, he's a slave driver. So he has. Uh, he very grinningly tells um, Deckard that. Or he introduces him to his secretary, who's oh, this, this is his assistant, right. Rachel. Yeah, stunning, Sean Young. Sean Young, looking beautiful. Her right. lips are so shiny in every scene. The shine. <laughs> but he, uh, 
he wants them, her, or rather Decker, to try the Voigt Kampf or the Voigt Kampf test is test the name of that. on her. And what that does, it's a test that we saw in the beginning of the film. They measure your capillary reactions in your face, the constriction, the constriction of your eyeballs, and, yes. things like that. They ask you a series of in, embarrassing questions and moral questions. Yeah, and, questions that are de- quote unquote designed to elicit an emotional response. Right. So that and it varies. The different types of emotional response varies. Like Leon is asked, "You're in the desert." He's not even. Yeah, you're in the desert, and there's a tortoise. Which desert? Well, he wants to know which desert. Was a tortoise. Was a tortoise. <laughs> it's like a turtle. Okay. He says, you flip it over, uh-huh. it's baking, its stomach is baking in the sun and it's flailing its legs to flip itself back over. Why aren't you turning it back over? Which is a wild question. I'm right. just like, I am? Though? I wouldn't have done See, it in the first Even way. when you're telling that story right now, you're reacting. Like, <laughs> uh, yes, of course. You're flushing. Like, but I, he's like, why am I not turning yeah. it over? And I'm like, you need to grab your agency, Leon, but... Right. He does. Well, he, he does. does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's and true. And he grabbed a really big gun right oh, afterwards. Such a big gun. Where did it come from? Um, and then we sort of see we see her sit down to the test, and then we see the end of the test, and he excuses her, mm-hmm. or Tyrell excuses right. her after Deckard is like takes a long pause. Right. Tyrell excuses her, and he's like, "How long does it normally take?" Like. How long does it normally take? How many questions do you normally ask? And he's like, between 20 and 30. And 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 uh, Tyrell says, took you over, it took her, it took you over a hundred with Rachel, didn't it? And she's like, he's like, she doesn't know. That's what I really find reprehensible about his character. Yeah. Is that he doesn't tell her. And so she's. So she, he has she, created this. Right. Person. I won't say human, but I will say person. Right. I think that's a that's fair. That some trees have personhood. This replicant can have personhood. He's created this person. He has downloaded basically created the memories of his niece mm-hmm. and put them in her brain so that she believes that she is a human woman that was born and has lived twenty Something years. Something ago. years. She's in her twenties. I I couldn't guess. Because uh, they're styling her sort of older, and but she's obviously very young. Yes, yes. Because if you're gonna make a pretty woman, why wouldn't you make her look, you know, young? Well, but I think the the idea is also they're styling her to resemble Barbara Stanwyck and sure. and yeah, you know, uh, that a kind of noir figure, right? Joan Crawford hairdo and the whole. I mean, the hairdo. Thank God she undoes it because after a while it began to get on my nerves. So those forties roles, yeah, um, and you know, Deckard's like, how can she not know what she is? Mm-hmm. Um, using human pronouns, <laughs> I will say, like, it's not how can it not know what it is? Right. Um, uh, turns out, though, Deckard in that hundred questions has fallen in love with this thing. So you know, <laughs> it's a little, it's a little extra, and. That is a that is an ironic question, y'all. That's an I, I, irony question. And uh, Tyrell explains that because they only live four years, they they are stuck in a 
in a an emotional immaturity mm-hmm. because it takes time to develop emotionally. Now, I would argue with this premise for a lot of reasons, um, not least of which is a computer, which I, I presume that there's a CPU, some sort of computer um, running the bodies. Computers process way fucking faster than human brains do. So you should be able to... I'm not to... sure if there's any mechanical parts to them. You don't know? You don't think because so? Because at one point later on, we meet another character who helps design their brains, and he's not talking about them in terms of computers, he's talking about them in terms of brains. Well, I guess that is true. And then when we see James Hong's character, who we're going to meet soon, working on their eye, it's an actual organic It's an eye. organic... Yeah, yeah, those are... Yeah, they have organic... Certainly organic parts. They're all organic. That's... Just... That makes it even creepier to me because it's, you know, he's literally playing God. Yes. It's a real Island of Dr. Moreau situation. I'm like, I'm kind, I'm nauseated. (laughs) Like I'm, I didn't even, I constantly was picturing a Terminator. Like, let me be, let me be very clear in what my thought process is, even though I know we do see the, but like, he's got biological matter, right? But full bio, and then to, I mean, and it's really interesting contrasting that in a world where we do find out that there are no natural animals. Right. Like, real snakes would be millions of dollars, because we have decimated the yes, we, we have that early in this scene, because he sees an owl. That's right. And asks if the owl is real. Of course it's not real. It's really good, but it's not a real owl. It's not owl. real, yeah. It's, it's all, so there are these rep, replications. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call those replicants the animals and things. Right. I w- I'm going to reserve that for the human-shaped ones. But but there's, a, there's layers of them because there's the repli- replicated animals. There's these very strange toys that get made. Yeah. That, that was... Yeah, that's even... Yes, this whole film is very disturbing. That is more disturbing. Those are more disturbing if I'm thinking of them in terms of not like clockwork, which is very much what I was thinking of them in terms of, and as full biological matter. Right. I don't feel good. (laughs) Okay. We're going to... We're going to go. So Rachel doesn't know... Rachel that she's doesn't not know that she's uh, real. not real, but I'm pretty sure after this hundred question test, she might have a uh, inkling. Um, I was like, I hope you're trying to out yourself at this point because you have outed yourself at this point. Also, basically, he's he's a he's probably the richest man in the world. Mm-hmm. That's he's he's got this Terrell. technology, yeah, yeah, Terrell, and his assistant is three. <laughs> that seems insane. He's, I don't even know that she actively is his assistant as much as he's really trying to pass her off. He's almost like... He, so he refers to her as his assistant. Right, so. but what I mean is in terms of her I, actual work, right. it's... He, yeah, what does she do? No. She is like... He's showing her off in a kind of Henry Higgins, Eliza Doolittle way. Look at what I made. It's also a right... You know what? Harrison Ford's only fucking job is mm-hmm. retiring replicants. 
Right. He does. He's. That's the only. As a Blade Runner, which is right. what his they call his job title. He's which not comes a, from a he's not William a Burroughs, by the way. Cop. He's not doing shit yeah. about anything on this planet. All he does is kill replicants. And this man brings a replicant in front of him on Earth, where they are not allowed to be. Right, exactly. And it's like. What are you going to fucking do about it, though? Because I'm very rich. I'm the richest. I basically own you. Right. Uh, I only want you to take out the, these ones because they are a danger to me and my situation. There's a strong anti-capitalistic... Yeah, it's good. It makes me feel real good. Film, actually. Yeah. Um, so, we know because um, the place that Leon lives was mentioned in his test. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where Deckard goes next. Uh, he goes to Leon's hotel room. He finds some photos and a synthetic snake scale that has like a maker's mark on it. He finds cause he takes it to a, uh, like a, a artisan mm -hmm. and um, she is like, this scale has the maker's mark and a serial number on it. I'm like, I'm sorry, are you telling me that this this person who makes these scales and makes these snakes puts his maker's mark and a serial number on every scale because that's insane. When you later meet him and you understand <laughs> that he's very proud of his work, I don't know, it seems it's like just, a That's bit like signing literally every blade of glass, grass in a painting. Like, mm. what? <laughs> like, I just, it's like, well, your shit is expensive because because you're doing too goddamn much. Um, yeah, I just thought that was insane. But it's plot it's plot helpful, so thanks, I guess. Uh, and then we're treated to a second stream of the narrative. So far, we've been pretty much following Deckard. But now we're following Roy. Yeah. And, they are going and to... And Roy and Leon, who are just a Roy weird combination of people. Roy and Leon, yeah, Roy and Leon are together. It's uh, the battle of the big jaw versus the no jaw. They're right. just, like, on screen facing each other. It is, like, are they even the same species? And I'm like, I mean, yes, but not, but no, also. Um, and they go and they visit James Hong, who makes eyeballs, and he gives up the name of J.F. Sebastian. He's a genetic designer who works with Tyrell because he's like, I don't know. They're asking what's my, what's the kill switch? What's the timeline? What, what mm. causes us to perish at four years? And James Hong does, And James Hong is like, I don't know. He's also doing his James Hong. Thing. Oh yeah. He's, he, uh, you don't even, you don't have to look at the screen. You hear that voice and you're like, oh, it's the Kung Fu Panda's dad. I, I, uh, <laughs> I wound up watching the Satan Bug. Uh-huh. And it was run on AMC, or excuse me, TCM, shortly after we saw uh, The Magnificent Seven. I'm like, oh, I, I, I really like this movie. I saw it. I liked it again. But there's a very young James Hong, and the voice is the same, but he was very different. He started playing strange, old... Asian man very early yeah. in his career. I was like, yeah, I was like, he looks exactly the same as he looks now, and he sounds exactly the same right. as he looks now, and this was 40 years ago. Right. Y'all, this movie was made 40 years ago. Alright, so they get the name J.F. J. Sebastian, mm -hmm. uh, then there's a cut over to Deckard, who's going home to his apartment, this is when we learn he lives on the 97th floor, 9732. 
And there, Rachel is waiting for him. She's like, I'm not a replicant. This is me and my pa- my mom. And he's like, oh, do you remember this? And do you remember this? Did you ever tell anybody about it? Nope, because those are not your memories. Those are the memories of Tyrell's niece. Sorry, it sucks a lot. And she does leave in tears. Oh, it's so sad. And then, uh, meanwhile, <clears throat> Daryl Hannah's Pris with big poofy yellow hair. She's wearing a crazy wig in this movie. <laughs> There's a lot of crazy wigs. I, I hope to God that Sean Young, that was a huge... It must have been a wig, but the... the, the, the... I, I don't know that her hair was a wig. I don't yeah. I don't know. I know Daryl Hannah's was a wig. Well, yes. And I, she is... Um, she, she goes to cover herself up with trash out in a in an alley and then is startled by a man who comes by who happens to be J.F. Sebastian. Weird. <laughs> so she's been sent out um, to find him and uh, gain his trust. And she does. She's a very pretty lady. She seems scared of him. He is like, I. you can come in and get out of the rain. And, um, and J.F. Sebastian is played. By William Sanderson, better known as Larry. He had brothers Daryl and Daryl. <laughs> right. You have seen this man's face a lot. Uh, he was in Newhart. That is the reference I just made. Um, I don't know if he was in... that. Newhart was the show that he was in, right? With the right. in and the... Okay, that's the only Bob Newhart show I've ever seen. I've never actually seen the Bob Newhart show. And uh, so he, we go up to his apartment where he... Because he... Or, He's in this big building, but he's the only one that lives there. But he says, I have friends. I made them. And when we go into his apartment, yeah, we see these little... They they appear to be about a foot and a half right. to two feet high. It's clearly little people just filmed. A force perspective. At a force perspective. And an oversized they move set. Like, definitely like little people. Right. Um, but once again, I thought of them as clockwork. And now they thinking are of them as full biological, I am... The bile. (laughs) We have a scene almost immediately afterwards. Yeah. Where um, Deckard goes to find who who owns the snake. Yeah, he finds he goes Mm -hmm. through the snake. He finds the the manufacturer. He finds the he, he finds out what the the numbers on the scale mean. Mm -hmm. He finds the manufacturer. Who tells him who sold the snake? Then he goes to the seller and he tells him who buys the snake. It's real detective y. And then he goes to the person who has the snake. And Which that is Zora. Who's Joanna Cassidy, who's very She's working at a strip club, yes. doing a snake act. Uh, and uh, she knows instantly that he is on to her. He tries to pretend that he's like. Um, Sort of like OSHA, but for sexual assault. <laughs> like, <laughs> Have you been asked to do anything that makes a, you feel uncomfortable? Yeah, he he gets this real nerd voice. I was like, this. It made me laugh because I was like, Harrison Ford fucks with people with this voice. I right. know he does because he falls into it so easily. I'm like, that's just him, right? Really, Scott heard him fucking with somebody. And was like, that voice that you were doing, that's what you're going to do here. I've never heard him sound like that except here. And it, but it is so natural to him. He's just like this, nah, 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 voice. Well, <laughs> I was like, do you need a pocket protector? <laughs> it is very funny how well he does in that scene. And um, 
Joanna Cassie, as I said, is this very tall, statuesque woman. Yes. And she's almost naked throughout most of the scene. And he keeps trying not to pay attention to that. Yeah, he's like, like uh, eyes averted. I, I, eyes up and to the right, up and to the left. <laughs> and you don't know if that's because of his common decency, or he doesn't want to be attracted to someone who's going to have to kill. Yes. Well, maybe a little bit of both. Or the fact, as we learn later on in the scene that you don't like so much, he's really... He has an aversion to accepting them as human because they're machines. They're not machines, though. They're not machines. They're Here's the thing. They're not machines. <laughs> they are built to serve and function... And he's like trying not to think of it. And he says that they're machines. He's trying to equate them with machines so okay. that he can go forward. Right. So. Because uh, if not, then he's just a murderer. Zora clocks him and runs. And then Decker chases him, chases her, and then does shoot her a whole bunch of times. And then mm-hmm. she goes to a whole bunch of glass. And all of a sudden, we're in a Dario Argento movie. It's very violent. There's a lot of blood. It's a whole mess. It's pouring rain. It's like, it's a lot. Uh, and then, and it's in slow motion too. So in case you you know you didn't, there's any details you missed of her face going through breaking glass, then you get to see more. And then he also gets the order to retire Rachel because she has gone missing. Mm-hmm. He just tucks that in behind his head. Uh, he spots her in a crowd, but is ambushed by Leon, who is very strong. <laughs> and uh, he does try and fight him. It does not go well. He gets the gun knocked out of his hand, and uh, Leon beats the sh- shit out of him. And as he is about to straight-up murder him, Rachel does show up using that gun and shoots him in the she, face. Yeah, she uses the gun that he knocked out of... Deckard's uh, hand. Leon knocked out of Deckard's hand. Yeah. And just, it's a really brief shot, but very effective. She kind of ventilates his head. It's yeah. like, oh, okay, there yep. it goes. Yep. His head was there. Now su- part of the- super dead. Because right. she's like, well, this is how I end this. And, and she's not she's not dumb. Uh, they go back to Deckard's apartment. And he's like, I'm not going to. Uh, yes, I've been told to retire you. No, I'm not going to do that. Right. So, uh, And then Rachel tries to leave. And this is the the part I don't like. Um, he like throws her across the room, and she's like, "I want to go." And he's like, "Say you want me. Say you say you like say all of these things." Mm-hmm. And then she does say them, and then they're kissing, and then they end up having sex. And I'm like, "That was sexual assault. That was coercion." And st- and our roommate was like, "Well, she's kissing him now," and I'm like, "Now." See, okay, this, now to to this is mm. a scene that you see all the time. I know it's in gross. This and I hate kind it. of filmmaking. It's um, and I, I'm thinking I don't know all the films that we're going to see in the future, but you'll see a few of those. I know it's just it is now that it's a yeah now that you know what you're looking at. It's just this clear perpetuation of rape culture, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, how many women? Because dudes see this scene over and over and over in a movie have been assaulted because men think this is what women want and they do this. Or they don't care what women want and this is what media has told them is fine and so they do this. Like, the answer is millions. The answer to the question is millions. And that's that's why I get real icked out by it. Um... I understand time and place. I understand 
technically not a person or not a human. Uh, He's, well, to, I'm, not, I'm not defending the scene <laughs> yeah. itself. No, I know. And and I think the scene, I don't, I'm not saying cut the scene mm-hmm. out either. I'm not right. saying that. Um, but I would argue this is a sexual assault. Right. It ends up not as a sexual assault, right. but it well, starts as a sexual what assault. It's, what they're trying to work through with these characters in this very awkward traditional scene is yeah. that he doesn't want to think of her as human. Right. So he's trying to right. dehumanize he's trying her. To look, I'm going to tell you what to do, right. and you're going to say it. And then the final thing that she says, he doesn't tell her to say. No, he sa- she says, I want you, of right. her own volition. Of her she own volition. And that. it's like... And at that point, right. right, we have switched, and it is a different dynamic. But that whole beginning right. of that whole dynamic beginning is, of that scene is is very hard and, to take. And and millions of women have mm. said the "I want you" because they were afraid that if they right. didn't, they would be fucking murdered. Right, and so <laughs> so it just it's it just sucks. It's just you're just watching patriarchy uh-huh. and this toxic. Hatred and dehumanization of women, mm-hmm. just starkly on the screen, and it's a ru- it's just rough. That's all. That's all. Right. I just I just want to indicate that while I was watching this, I was like, I hate it. I hate it. I hate this. That mm. they, they I don't feel like happily ever after is a thing that happens with these two because I hate this. Um, but so they stay. We do not actually get a sex scene. There's a cut to the next morning. There's a lot of or really, really kind of jazzy music. Though. Yes. Melodia. Vangelis. Oh, which I, who I did look up, and he did pass away earlier this year. So. Yes, I know. It's a, it's a pity. Um, so he leaves Rachel, goes to search for. There's two more, right? We've got Roy Batty, and we've got Pris. Uh, and he is going. He goes to J.F. Sebastian because he has also gotten this name. Mm-hmm. He goes to his apartment. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. He leaves. And then and then we see Roy going to Bash- Sebastian JF's his his name he just goes by JF, which is so strange to right. me. Um we find out that he his character is actually only in his twenties and suffers from that I've forgotten the name of it, but a, a, a premature aging. Right. Which Roy actually logs links into as we're the same, mm-hmm. like a, a like a, we are in an accelerated timeline through no fault of our own, right? Um, and uh, so Roy tells Pris that the other replicants are dead, um, and Sebastian reveals that. Uh, oh yeah, they, they they have a kinship, and Sebastian doesn't is not threatened by them. Like he doesn't feel threatened by them. He wants to help them because right. he understands what it is like to know, through no fault of your own, your life is going to be cut short. And they do touch here. This is kind of where you say because um, Pris, when she's um, with him in the first scene, she's like, um, "What's wrong with you?" And that's when we find out right. what's wrong with him. And um, He's, she's like, oh, that's why you're still here. Yes. Meaning that he won't, he's not able to he's go off world because space, tra- space travel. It's almost like there's a genetic sieve there being poured yep. through. It's not almost like that. It's exactly like that. It's, it's a it's, eugenics right. wet dream. It's a. Uh, it put me in mind that line of uh, Gattaca. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It felt very much like Gattaca right. to me. Which I was is, like, Gattaca pulled from this very right. heavily for sure. Um, I want to rewatch that movie. Um. So they uh, go to Tyrell 
they go to Tyrell's penthouse um, uh, through a, a classic chess ruse, and uh, Roy confronts Tyrell and then squishes his head like a grape. If you've seen Game of Thrones and the death of the mountain and Pedro Pascal's character, you've seen this scene before. He, it's violent, it's rough. But Tyrell is deceased. The the estate, (laughs) the working out of that estate is going to be a fucking nightmare. I like... (laughs) Um, Rutger Howard is an odd actor. Yeah. He's a very strange person, apparently, to work with. Um, I was, uh, there was a film that he did that I saw with my dad once, and we were just like, afterward, turning each other and go, that was weird. But it was a film that he did with Kathleen Turner and Powers Booth, where he plays... Uh, Pars Booth is playing a man who's collecting an eagle egg for a collector. Okay. And Rutger Howard is this man who lives alone in a mountain to protect the eagle. And they, they come to blows and everything. Oh, jeez. It was very strange. That is strange. And, and uh, apparently Kathleen Turner hated working with him because he was always doing something really weird. Like he wrote all of his lines on the pieces of furniture on the set. Yeah. And then at one point when they moved that particular scene to outdoors, he just ripped the end of this door off its hinges and took it and propped it behind her head so he could read it over. And she's like, I'm walking out now. I'm not going to deal with this guy anymore. Hmm. He does have, though, a gift for playing someone this weird. Yes. And so if you need someone, and that's why he was really successful as the hitcher in that film, is that he is really good at just being a little bit off. And I think... I, I don't I I don't know. I don't know if some of it is just the like cultural differences because mm-hmm. he is foreign born. Right. Like he's not American, so he's got a little bit of a like a little bit of just uh, otherness, foreignness, literal foreignness, or if he's like a weird dude. He's got an interesting face, he's got an interesting manner, and then yeah, you don't see him working a lot with the same people over and over again. So I wonder if he's like just like a weird a weird dude. Um he's passed fairly recently as well, yeah. Mm, I believe so, yes. Um but he so he's trying to get Tyrell to extend their lifespans and Tyrell has a condescending asshole answer um which is basically but look how accomplished you've been in such a short period of time at which point he does squish his whole ass head he kisses him on the mouth which is a very straight i wonder if that's improvised it's i don't know if you met your creator would you want to kiss him no you don't want to kiss god god's sad god likes kisses <laughs> i don't know if that's true it's just such a... <laughs> it's it was that scene, though, Rutger Hauer plays it, his scenes really well. Yes. Not just as this sort of other, but also... Um, and saying some things that are like, these are not... These are sci-fi lines that he says in a lot of the cases. Right. Um, he, at one point, he's quoting William Blake. Yeah. Which, please don't. Fiery the angels rose. They that... Uh, I'm not a Blake fan. And they rose <laughs> deep thunder... Rolled around in their sh- uh, their um, shores, indignant, burning with fires of orchids. It's like, and it's apropos of nothing. And I'm wondering how much of this did he just 
improvise. I was learning about Robert Shaw doing Jaws and how much of the Quint character was just him making things up as he went along. Yeah. And so I wonder how much latitude he was given as an actor. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't know how Ridley Scott works. Like he's mm-hmm. not a person who. Um, <laughs> Blake Trek hasn't done a series on him, so I don't know if he's like stick to the script. 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 God damn it, we figured it out already. Or if there's latitude right. given. I. I have no idea. Uh, and then, uh, so he kills Tyrell, and at this point they have no hope. Right. Right. Like if Tyrell doesn't. No, or won't. It's unlikely that anybody else has that knowledge. He probably probably died with him. Right. So now at this point, Pris is glitching out. Mm-hmm. She is dying. That is why. That is why they have come to Earth now because Pris is about to die. And Roy is dying. And Roy is also dying. We see him. Um, we see him have more glitches than we see uh, Daryl Hannah's character have. Pris have, although. She's such a weirdo that I don't I don't know if the, maybe that's the glitching. I don't. But Sebastian tries to flee, and then we later hear him reported, excuse me, reported dead. So it's likely that he he did he was murdered by them, but it's unclear because he watches him do it. Like it's not good. And then at Sebastian's apartment, because. Now Deckard has chased down Sebastian and is like this. He's like one step behind them or two steps behind them, right? Uh, because I think at this point they they know Tyrell is dead and like shit is going down because he's in addition to being pro- being probably the richest man in the world, he's probably one of the more most powerful men. Well, I mean by definition, mm. but also. Um, you know, influential, probably politically. Like, it's a big fucking deal that this right. dude was killed by one of his own creations. I don't know if that inv- in- indication has gotten out. Of course, the cops know that that's the case, mm-hmm. but I don't know um, that the general public would know yet. Uh, it's funny to me at that point. I was like, like, they call Deckard and tell him what's going on and then say, you know, you've got to get these last two. And I'm like, you brought him back basically at Tyrell's behest to keep him safe and he has died. So why is he still working? <laughs> like I just was like, ooh. But he did take two of them down. Well, he took one of them down and Rachel took well, one of them down. I think the thing is, it's initially as a cop, his job, or being hired as a blame yeah. owner, his job was just to hunt them down regardless. Yeah. And so, yeah, Tyrell sort of deserved what he got, but. I don't know if the cops will see it that way. Yeah, no. Well, and they they are they were owned by him, so right. it's very unlikely that they would. Because what are cops if not slave catchers? I mean, it's it's the it's the same right. story, right? Um, I will say um, that uh, we 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 had mentioned Edward James almost. He is he recurs. He pops up. Mm-hmm. I would say that is the best way to describe how he is interacting in this film he just is at places sometimes he's not working with Deckard he's not he's just sometimes there and when he is there he is making some sort of weird origami figure keep that in mind Uh, and 
So, uh, Deckard goes to Sebastian's apartments trying to find uh, either the replicants or some idea of where they have gone. And there's a bunch of friends in right. there. And so he pulls his gun, not knowing which of these might be real and which is uh, alert, awake, mm-hmm. coherent, any of that stuff. And uh, Pris is there with like clan of the cave bear makeup on she's got like a white like oh. white face makeup with a black streak across her eyes it's it's very distinctive and it's i'm unclear why other than she's a futuristic sex worker and this is the look i well, don't know and maybe she was trying to fit in with all the rest of the sort of characters Odd. and figures that yeah that's true because they're and... all a little bit yeah um whimsical but once again made out of flesh Ugh. okay uh and uh, she ambushes Deckard. He's got his gun out, but he's not expecting her flippy, flippy, flippiness because she's very flippy in the scene. Right. And uh, he does end up managing to kill her, though he has taken a not insignificant amount of damage to his That's own the person. Other thing that makes you think that he might in himself be right because she not just turns his human. head nearly all the way around before he's able to get free of her. Yeah. And he's already the the four hundred the dude that lifted four hundred right. pounds on the reg was beating on his body. Right. And he's not dead. He's bruised up, mm-hmm. but he's not dead. So, what's that about? Uh, Roy Batty Rudgerhauer shows back up at the house, and he he is clearly glitching. He's got like, and I've had hand cramps like this actually, where his hands just curl in on themselves. Mm-hmm. Um. To the point where he puts a base, it looks like a railroad stake mm-hmm. or tie through his hand to loosen it up so it's open and not closed, which you likened to a Jesus Christ thing, even mm-hmm. though that's not down here. I, I but <laughs> uh, he's chasing Deckard through the building onto the roof. Uh, Deckard tries to jump onto another build it roof, but he misses and sort of falls. And then well, he's he just can't hanging get the clearance. Yeah. You know, he t- yeah. I bet he could if he really put his mind if to he, it. But, <laughs> but he doesn't know he's not a person right. or a human. Uh, Roy makes the jump with ease. And as um, Deckard's about to fall, Roy lifts him up onto the deck or mm-hmm. onto the roof and saves him. And before he dies, he says... That's what I wanted the internet for. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near Tannhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears and rain. Then he says, time to die. (laughs) Time to die. (laughs) And then he does die. (laughs) So... I guess, I don't, I want, and then you wonder, like, why didn't he let him die? Why didn't he kill him? Mm. Like, he, there's nothing to be gained. He knows his life is coming In to the an narration, end. the narration, the narrative, Harrison Ford has a line like, I don't know why he saved me, yeah. but I think, or the character goes on to say, mm-hmm. I think in his last moments, he didn't want to see anything else die. stop living. Stop living, know? right. He's like, I'm already. Right. And I think that uh, that uh, possibly, that, again, it made it very clear what was going on. 
But I think that Ridley Scott's objection is that he wanted it to sort of... Because we're never clearly told anything about these characters. It's all very ambiguous. Yeah, no, everything... You have, we have no past for right. any of these people. All we know is he doesn't do we this anymore. We have false pasts for them, which yes. is the fun part. It's yeah. like, well, we, don't, we only know about Rachel's past, and that's not even her past. No. Um, and then Edward James almost pokes his head in and is like, mm. nice work. Uh, but we are going to get Rachel and she is going to die. And he's like, right, bet. I'm going to go. I'm going to go home. And so he goes home and uh, to, to get Rachel because uh-huh. they're going to flee. Uh, and while he's taking her to the elevator, he sees us. He steps on. She steps on it, actually, I think. A little origami unicorn in the hallway outside of his apartment. He thinks of what Gaff said. And then he gets in the elevator, and that is the end of the movie. Now, that unicorn is always, it's in every version of the movie. Mm-hmm. What is not in every version of the movie that is in this version of the movie and is the biggest sort of um, textual difference is a scene where we see Deckard waking up from a dream, but before that, what the dream is, is a unicorn running through a forest. So the uh, implication here is Gaff knows, Gaff is Edward James Almost's character, he knows about Deckard's memories and dreams, which means they've been implanted. Right. Which means he is a replicant. But now they're on the run. To be continued in uh, Blade Runner 2049. And I do not remember what happens in that movie. So we're not going to talk about it. That's the end of it. Um, the the this one explicitly the version differences are listed as the addition of that mm-hmm. scene of the uh, of the unicorn running through the forest, uh, which is very short. It's like five oh, it's, seconds. Yeah. It's not very long at all. And then he, him, you know, waking up, and then um, all of the like it. It put violence back in. A mm. bunch of violence had been taken out. And it cuts the end as, as they're getting into the elevator, which apparently there are versions where well, there's... the, the version they I saw them. originally, they, you see them in one of the spinners, one of the flying cars the police have. Mm-hmm. And there's different kinds of cars. There's automobiles that move on the floor, and there's automobiles that fly. And the police are patrolling around all the time in these flying cars. Um, he's in the car with her and they're driving out outside the city limits and the last images you see are of a countryside. It's yeah. a blue sky and there's green trees. and it's Which and it's, seems diametrically opposed to what we know about this world not having any animals in it. Right. Like, if there is, la- if there is areas outside of these cities and these megastructures, what it seems like they would be is is burnout land full of maybe nuclear right well we don't know that there's no animals at all one uh, when, when he talks to zora no he there says, are, some. are there is that a real snake and she's like do you think i could afford if i could afford a real snake would i be I working would, here working here right, right exactly um but yeah so they're extraordinarily endangered right and owned by wealthy people yes and as a matter of fact, that's the um, the reason why the original novel is called "Do Robots Dream of Electric Sheep?" Because he has androids. 
Android's dream of an electric sheep, he has an android, or he has a mechanical sheep that he gave as a gift to his wife. There's a whole different evolution of characters in there. Gotcha. And he's wondering about the dream life of the the electric animal that he has in his house. Um, I, I think I'd probably like the, the film. Oh, I thought it was a reference to, like, counting sheep before you go to sleep. I, like, I'm, that's that's right. where my brain goes, but I, I haven't read any of his books, so... Hmm. Uh, so what did you think of the film altogether? I, I liked it way... First of all, I don't know about thrilling. Mm-hmm. I don't... And I certainly don't know about more thrilling than something like Thelma and Louise. Right. Um, but you, yeah, we, we're coming lots of like different we're getting, kinds we're of getting, We're supposed to be getting higher on the list, which means more... more mm-hmm. uh, but maybe they just mean better. These are the... the, the top 100 most thrilling movies and we've ranked them in order of what we like. I don't know. But um, I was not looking forward to watching this movie um, because I know it's very slow uh, and deliberate. But the watch of it was way more enjoyable than I thought it was going to be. It's, just, it, it's a repeat of his, the last Ridley Scott movie we watched, actually, because I had the same... I did not yeah. want to go into Thelma. I was like not looking forward to Thelma and Louise. And then the watch of it was way more enjoyable than I thought it was going to be. I thought... I didn't know how much I would enjoy it. I was like, okay, this is going to... I remember it being deliberately paced, but I also remember now that I think of it... that I saw it on television. Oh. The commercial that just added another added extra another, half yeah, an hour this, of like, This would be probably more than that. It prob- They probably put it in a three-hour time slot yeah, and just, made it a... So they added an hour of commercials. It was... Because um, this edit was just under so two hours So it was long. like stripped of things that would make it interesting or compelling... And at the same time, just you mean the nudity inflated. Well, not just the nudity. <laughs> I'm joking. The whole picture of that world is interesting. Um, I was watching an interview with Sid Mead, the designer, and he talked about his vision of the world, which is and Ridley Scott, and they work together. Ridley Scott apparently is a gifted artist. He sketches things really. Oh, quickly. really? I didn't know that. So between he and Sid Mead and Doug Trumbull, they kind of came up with a world that's mm-hmm. completely consistent. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the mega structures that people are living in, these whole self-contained communities, um, the, the street level, uh, which is like a polluted, contaminated version of every kind of shanty town in anywhere in the third world, really. Parts of this world, uh, of our country, too. Um, but, the vision that they had presenting this is like a sky that's filled with advertising. Yes. All the time. You're Which, just being... I mean, we've just done that by putting it in our phone since we're not looking at the sky, we're only looking at our Well, phones. because there was an actual attempt at one point of putting giant mylar balloons that reflected advertising and drifting them, letting them drift across the night sky, and that got shot down. Uh, by lawmakers, which we can be eternally grateful for. Mm. But there was an attempt to create this vision of the world at a time, at one time. But, um, yeah, I, I, I found some of the scenes thrilling. Really, Scott does know how to structure a chase scene and an action yeah. scene. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, the, the, um, the screenplay, apparently the first draft that uh, Hampton Fancher, is that his name? Oh, I've closed all of my my things. I'm sorry. But the internet is backed up, so. The first uh, 
Hampton Pancher wrote a screenplay that apparently really focused on creating the setting and the mood and the, what do you call it. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently the second uh, credited screenwriter worked on establishing the relationships between the people. Okay. And so between the two of them, they came up with something likable. And the the idea that this film was originally going to be directed by Martin Scorsese is actually kind of Yeah, because this book was optioned but right after it came out in 1968. Right. It took a long time for it to get made. That seems... 14 years, that seems right. Right. And and when you think about the other actors who are maybe going to get Harrison Ford's part. Who's that? Oh, Dustin Hoffman was one. No. I don't... I know. No, I don't think so. He's too right. short. No offense. Paul Neiman, Clint Eastwood, Jack Nicholson, Sean Connery, Tommy Lee Jones, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Peter Falk, Nick Nolte, Al Pacino, and Burt Reynolds. Peter Falk? I like the idea of that one. That is a that is a smorgasbord. Yeah. That's just the, every... Hey, you got a white dude? I got a list. Here's a list of white dudes. Oh, and, and Gene Hackman also <laughs> is one of the people up for it. Oh, interesting. I could put him in M.M. Walsh's thing, though. Right. Oh, That's... he was young enough that... Maybe he was still in his good guy phase. It's still pretty close to the Poseidon Adventure, maybe. So, did you enjoy it? I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it. Um, Find it thrilling? The thrilling, there are parts of it, as I said, that I found thrilling. But yeah. Overall, it's the same kind of big, moody film that it was. Only this time, I felt like this version cuts closer to the bone in terms of making the story really clear. Uh-huh. This is what we want to say. And, um, yeah, I, I appreciate it more this time. Nice. So, that's the end of Blade Runner. Next week, we're going to watch the movie Laura from 1944. Y'all, I don't know anything about it. And he told me to go in blind. Who directed this movie? Oh, you did tell me yeah. it was Otto Preminger. Uh, this will be my first Otto Preminger movie, I think. Uh, I don't know anything about it. It is available to rent on Amazon Prime. If I find out if it's if it's streaming on one of the services for f- quote unquote free uh, with a subscription, I will let you know that in the show notes of this episode. Um, and then that's going to close out our August. Uh, in the meantime, do you have anything that you would like to recommend? I would like to recommend going to the forest. <laughs> I would like to, well, not right now, it happens to be on fire. Oh, I would nice. like to recommend any number of small towns I've been through this weekend in an attempt to escape fire. I There are so many vibrant places I visited. Um, Arcata was really fun. Mm. And there's a town square there, and the life of the town is all around it. And... There's a farmer's market there some mornings. And there's a local movie theater. And there's two movie theaters within walking distance of the town square. Um, and there's a like a wine bar where you... Go Drink good, wine get a glass is what of you wine, do. And you sit outdoors and you listen to live music, which is going on most of the night. Mm-hmm. And you can just engage in conversations with other people. You can you know talk to those who you came with. It was very interesting. There was even a library, and everywhere, these smaller places seemed to have a collection of board games for people who just want to do that. I love that, and that comes from a place of deep love of board right. games. So, I played Oregon Trail. 
uh, the board yeah, game. Yeah, you the said game. there's a card game of Oregon right. Trail. Did so, you die of dysentery? Uh, no, I died because my oxen died. Oh, yeah, that you didn't eat them? No, I, I didn't. You I, just... Yes, it's you, like... You, you, your, your car broke down in the middle of nowhere and, got, and you couldn't get anywhere Because, you know what? It's a big country. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe that should be our next one. We should just get movies that we think deserve to be on a list. Some kind of list. But, uh, but yeah, I would recommend just sort of getting out. There's so many fine places. I had the finest margarita I've ever had. Yep. In a little town whose name I forget. Take um, yourself on vacation. It doesn't yes. have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be expensive. Um, I, it certainly helps if you have a vehicle, of course. Yeah. Um, but there's so many places to see. and, uh, and But this, also, please right. mask up still, because these places... Yes. I still have people who are maybe um, could be in danger. Oh, my phone, my my computer has just decided it's time to go dark. Um, time to die. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, little it, places. It's seen visiting safely. Little places. It's seen fires off the ten house, sea beams off the ten house gate. What is a sea beam? I have no idea. It is the letter C hyphen beam. I presume it's like. Like a build, like a like a piece of a building, like a like a or structural it could thing be of a, a beam building. Of light I don't reflecting know. a different part of the spectrum. That's what I always imagine. Oh shit! Yeah, maybe. But they have regular eyes. If they have better eyes than us, why are we not they implanting have... them in our own bodies? Because that's what we do. That's y'all. That's that is so. my that is my science fiction fiction dream. Please make me bionic. I want. My phone implanted into my ear so I can listen to any, like, just a little button behind my ears. I know I do wear an earbud all the time, but I don't want to lose it. (laughs) You you realize that I'm bionic. I know you are. I want to be bionic, though. You are not me. Yeah, I want a lens on one eye that'll bring up the internet. I want it all. Right. Make me half synthetic. And also, I need new hips and knees. So, you know, if that comes along, too, that would be great. So, what would you like to recommend? I am going to recommend, if you are in the mood for something sort of fun and frothy and um, pretty light, I'm going to give you two options. One, the 355. Say, action movie starring a lot of ladies. Okay. And two, Uncharted. It's an action movie starting starring two dudes. <laughs> Based on a video game. I enjoyed both of them. I think I enjoyed the 355 slightly more, although I didn't like it as much as I thought I was going to, but I like the way that it sets up maybe a possible future thing. But it's got Jessica Chastain and Lupita Nyong'o and... So is it similar to like a... Bing Bing Fan. Gunpowder Milkshake. No, but yes. I mean, okay. it's no because that is more of a almost like a almost like a comic. Mm-hmm. This is not. This is more set in the um um the quote unquote real world. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, it is. You know, it's serviceable. If I had seen it in the theater, I probably would have been disappointed. Um. But Jessica Chastain, Penelope Cruz, Fan Bing Bing, Diane Kruger, Lupita Nyong'o, 
Sebastian Standard and Edgar Ramirez. That's the cast. Mm. Um, there's a pretty big tell of a twist it, just in the casting. I won't get into it. But it was it was an enjoyable watch. Um, Uncharted, I think, is a little bit long. I did fall asleep in the middle of it. So if you're in the mood to just, you know, zone so out and watch Tom Han- Holland... Right. You know, do a lot of upper body strength work. This movie is free. Uncharted but made you unconscious. I did, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Only a little bit. And not, not for very long. And, uh, yeah, if people could watch that movie and then tell me what the fuck's up with Mark Wahlberg in that movie, because something's up with him and I can't, it's weird. He's, 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 it's weird. Okay. <laughs> You'd have to watch it to find right. it. So Imagine. that's your homework as well. So those two movies are pretty fun. Uh, we've started watching The Sandman, but then we stopped watching The Sandman because you would like it, so we're going to pick it up when you can be here and watch it with us. Which is to say, you should catch up on the first two episodes this weekend, and then uh, we can well, dive in. Have to catch up on. Yes, I know. Uh, so that brings us, I think, to the end of this episode, Blade Runner. Good movie, it turns out. And next week... Uh, once again, it's going to be Laura from 1944, Otto Preminger. Is it in color or black and white? It is in beautiful black and white. Beautiful black and white. Okay. So, I don't, I've never seen this movie. I literally know I would nothing about it. If you guys, anybody in the other audience. Other than the AFI has decided mm-hmm. that it goes on the thrill list. That's all I know. If anybody in the audience has not seen or knows nothing about this film and would care to follow it with us, I highly recommend... Before you see the film, don't find out. Don't look it up. Don't don't bother trying to find any information about it because there are things that happen where they're spoiled for me when I first saw the film and I thought, well, I really wish I could have gone into it blind. Oh, okay. Well, then I will not do any Googling mm-hmm. and uh, we will yes. watch it cold on Monday. All right, awesome. So if you guys have any questions or comments or concerns or could tell me seriously what the fuck's going on with Mark Wahlberg and Uncharted, uh, I think you'll understand if you watch it. Uh, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us, tweet at us at latecomerspod, or you can find us on Facebook by searching for Latecomers Podcast. And I would like to remind you to please take your medicine. And we would like to remind you... Better late than never. never.